You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. If you've not been with us, this is our fourth and final week. I do want to say it is wonderful having you here with us. A happy Easter to you. Uh, I grew up in church, and on Easter Sunday, we always used to have a saying uh, that the minister would say, he is risen, and the church would say back, he is risen indeed. So if I say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Great. I'm going to try and keep it a little bit interactive this morning. So every time you hear me say that, I just want you to come straight back at me. That was just by way of introduction. We've been looking at the life of Mary, and I thought I would just do a quick drawing here for you about the life of Mary. Now, I cannot draw at all, so I should just um, start by this. I was thinking, when we discover Mary, we know that she's engaged. We know that she's betrothed to be married to Joseph. And so we could say life started like that for Mary. But actually, it probably went downhill quite quickly. She discovers that she's pregnant. She's never slept with someone. If you read it in the Bible, you could read it. Actually, God came upon her and she conceived. This would have suddenly meant the engagement would have been off. She said, golly, where's this going to go? Well, actually, we know that things start getting better because we know that Joseph says, I've had a dream, we're to stick together. So they stick together. We know that actually angels turn up and that starts bringing good news. We know that actually the baby is born and shepherds come along. That would have been amazing news. We know after that that magi, the wise men turned up. It would have been incredible. I just think about all that that Mary had gone through and just this emotion that we've been talking about here. But then suddenly, if we're really honest, things probably turn for the worse again. We know that she had to flee as a refugee to Egypt. Herod wanted to kill. And so, you know, there's suddenly, oh, golly, all these terrible things that have been happening. We know that she ends up losing her son. In the temple. Golly, what must it have been like as a a mother? I remember when uh, our son was probably about three years old. My wife went to Marks and Spencers. Here's a warning never to go shopping, I suppose. She loses her her boy in the midst of the shops. What am I going to do? Panic. You know what I'm saying? Fortunately, he was smart enough just to go and stand by the exit. He thought she's going to finish shopping sometime. This three-year-old's waiting there with his arm. Obviously seen it in his father, I guess. But there's real panic as a parent. What is going to happen? And then we've been listening. Uh, If you've been here before, you think, oh, suddenly things would have been on the up because she saw the first miracle. Water was turned into wine. She must have suddenly realized, well, this Jesus has got some huge teaching and some following. But then what we've been thinking about this last week, if we're really honest, in that whole week of Easter, is that Jesus gets arrested He has this sort of mock trial. And if we're really honest, this must have been the lowest point of her life. She sees her own son crucified. I I can't imagine what that must be like as a parent. And I know that Richard talked about that last week, this whole thing of the death and and, and realizing. Well, then what we're going to be looking at today, I want to say, is way off the chart up here. I don't think it could get high. I need more paper if I was to draw the life of Mary for today. And I, you say, 
Where is that? Well, we're going to read about it in Luke, in Luke 24. But what we know is that Mary was given by Jesus to John. And so she lived in John's house. This would have been a tight, close-knit community. So she would have been identifying this with John. We know that this was not... These events didn't happen in, in white England. You know, if we go through difficulties, we try and shut everything away and we think, I'll just stiff up a lip and I'll cope with it. This was much more a community where actually people grieved together. There's a close community. In fact, and we see it in a couple of things that I'm going to read to us, we know that the 11, that's referring to the 11 disciples, because Judas by now has died, the 11 gathered together, but they often had others with them. We believe that Mary was there. The last time that she specifically mentioned in the Bible is Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, where she's gathered with the 11 and she's praying. And the, the guy who wrote Acts is also the guy who wrote Luke. And so we're going to look at Luke 24 and just pick up on some of this story and see how Mary had this huge high. And this picture is probably true of our life. I don't know where you are on your ups and downs today. But I honestly believe that Easter should be your high. And we're going to find that out from here. So Luke 24 verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered... They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Why they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself, What has happened? Luke then tells us this story about two disciples that are walking to another place called Emmaus. As they're walking along, somebody walks with them. They end up talking. This person's about to carry on. They say, no, don't don't carry on. Come on in. Have something to eat. As the person breaks bread with them to eat, their eyes are suddenly open. They say, oh, this is Jesus. So they then run back to tell the disciples, we've seen him. And I'm going to pick up the story in verse 33. So they got up and returned, these are these two disciples, at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. 
and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus had been, was recognized by them when they broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And why they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. I think this is breathtaking this morning. He is risen. Yeah, he is risen indeed. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, so we're there. You, you'll have it by the end of the morning. I just find this whole story, I'll be honest, I've heard this story so many times. I had the privilege of being raised to go to church as a child, and, and many times could tell you this story, but I just think the excitement, how must it have felt for Mary? Yes. You see, the reality is, at Easter we celebrate an empty tomb. Yes. The tomb is empty. There are four accounts of the life of Jesus in the Bible. I read from Luke. There's one called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them agree on this. Jesus rose again. They agree that Jesus died. He physically died. I don't believe Jesus fainted. There was no swapping with somebody else. Jesus physically died on the Friday. I was reading this week... And in fact, we have some copies of this, the case for Easter. They're at the table on the back, just reading about some of the torture that Jesus went through. Many a man would die from the torture. He physically died. The blood and the water separating. He was overseen by ruthless soldiers who made sure he was dead. That's what they did for a living. Some of you, I know, came on Good Friday when we met with the other churches at Haven Green. And they reenacted the passion. And I always find it absolutely fascinating. The Uxbridge Road is stopped and there's Jesus walking along. Remember, that literally, he was crucified outside the church building next door. Jesus died. That was on the Friday. These were Jews. Saturday was their Sabbath day. A bit like, I guess, Sunday has been historically for us as a nation. There was no work, no way to hide, no way to keep busy, but a time just to reflect on the fact that Jesus has physically died. Then first thing Sunday morning, 
They go rushing down, these ladies, rushing down to the tomb, totally expecting a dead body. They were carrying spices. It had all been done in a rush, and they thought maybe we could embalm him, maybe we could honor him. They honestly thought they'd find the dead body there. But it was a total shock. I don't know how many have seen the film Risen. I know it's, it's not been on for long. This is a story of, oh, some people might not be able to see this here. It's, an, it's a story of a Roman centurion. And uh, this is not in the Bible, but it's just a bit of theatrical. This guy is, is the manhunt that changed the course of human history. And suddenly he's trying to find out what happened to the body. Well, this is, in some respects, I think, you can see the trailer just on YouTube. It's a couple of minute trailer. You just think, wow, it's, it's amazing. Suddenly, he, he'd been there and he'd seen this Jesus die. He knew he was in a tomb, but he's not there anymore. And how does he explain it? You see, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Fantastic. There was no body in the tomb. When the ladies entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. When the disciples, Peter and we think John, go running in there, they bend over. What do they see? Strips of linen lying by themselves. He goes away wondering, what has happened? Matthew and Mark say, come and see the place where he lay. He doesn't lay there anymore. Even in the Gospel of John, it says they've taken the Lord. We don't know where he is. All the writers agree on this. The body was empty. The tomb was empty. There's no body there. Uh, My youngest son has a job. He works in a cafe, and the cafe is called Gracelands. So I put on some Elvis music yesterday just to try and indoctrinate him on the things that I grew up with. He's not interested in at all. I said, I've actually visited Gracelands. Graceland is the home, former home, I guess you could say, of Elvis Presley. I've been there. I've sat in one of Elvis Presley's cars. I've walked on Elvis Presley's plane. You can do the whole tour. I've been through the garden. I've stroked the walls. Yes, he had carpet up some of his walls. (laughs) Reality is, he's buried there. You can walk past his grave. You see, that is true for so many, isn't it? If we're honest, people live and they die, we bury them, we can remember them. You can find Muhammad in the Green Mosque in Saudi Arabia because he died and was buried. But there is no place that you can go and find the decomposed body of Jesus. There is no dead body. And I just find this amazing that there's no body there. This would have been a huge thing. I wish I had time. Again, I would encourage you, take a hold of one of these. I think we've only got 25 copies, so if someone gets there first, it's a few elbows afterwards. You know what I'm saying? Because he presents this whole argument. They put a a seal on the stone. It was basically saying, don't touch this. You know what I'm saying? Police line. You see it on all the sort of crime scenes now, don't you? Do not cross this line, CSI. I mean, that was the kind of thing that they were doing. Don't cross here under authority. We know that the tomb was guarded, literally left there, made it feel secure. 
We know that there's this heavy stone that was rolled across. They reckon it went down a slight slope until it would sort of sit in this way, so there's no way to get in. I mean, it would be possible to move it, but you're talking several really strong men to move it. You might say, but was it an empty tomb, a wrong tomb? Well, even, even this film that's come out recently would say, well, no, if, if it was the wrong tomb, the Romans would have just provided the body. You see, what happened in Christianity, well, it changed so many things in the Roman world that they would have said, oh, no, 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 he never rose, here he is. If it had been the wrong tomb, the, the Jewish leaders would have said, no, 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 you can't go following that. He, he's not alive, we've got it here. But nobody was able to produce a body. Even the disciples, they would never have stolen the body. Why on earth would they have died for a lie? They'd never have kept it going. Some of you may have heard of a guy called Chuck Colson. He was involved in Watergate. I know you find it hard to believe. He was an American politician and he lied. He was caught for it. Ended up going to prison for it. He said this, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me the apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. He said, well, I know what people are like. There's no way they'd have kept that lie going under those kind of things. It was not some kind of legend. Legends take years and decades to establish This was said straight away. The tomb of Christ is famous for what it doesn't contain. There is no body. The body has gone. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Surely that's what comes across here. So how would Mary have found? Well, the first thing she'd have learned is there is no body. The second thing I think she'd have discovered is I've heard the news. The body of Jesus is not there. The news starts to spread. In uh, Matthew, the angels, in fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the angels that start spreading this news. He's not here. He has risen. He's not here. Remember how he told you, woman, why are you crying? The angel brings this news. Have you heard the news? There was no Facebook, no Instagram, no Twitter, no Snapchat. No mobile phones, no landlines, no letters, no emails like we know of. But this news would have been quickly whispered around. There's nobody there. Have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard? He's risen. He has risen. Could this possibly be true? This has never happened before. Billy Graham who was a preacher in the United States, some would say one of the greatest preachers of the good news in the last century at least, he says this, there's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. Have you heard the news? There's certain news 
He is risen. Ah, I didn't even mean that one. You got it in there quick. Well done, Chris. You're on your toes. Charles Spurgeon, he was considered the prince of preachers. He used to lead a church in London about 200 years ago. The resurrection is a fact better attested than any event recorded in any history, whether ancient or modern. You see, the news starts spreading. There is nobody. Have you heard the news? But then the story develops. What happens next? The disciples encounter Jesus. I mean, I love the detail of this, don't you? Jesus meets them in the room. He stands amongst them. He speaks peace to them. He encourages them to look at him. He asks the disciples, come and touch me. Eventually, he says, look, give me something to eat. I mean, in some respects, it's almost comical, isn't it? The disciples are so convinced that nothing could possibly have happened. He's like, I'm here. Look at me. Can you see me? Do you want to touch me? You think I'm a ghost? Look, give me something to eat. I'll eat something right here, right now. I have risen. And you can encounter me. Wow. What must Mary have thought then? This was the 11 plus the crowd that were there. Suddenly, oh, I, I couldn't understand it. The body wasn't there. I, I mean, it, it seemed to point to one thing. I heard other people say this, but suddenly I've encountered him yes. for myself. Yes. Andrew Murray, he was a famous preacher from Scotland, said, A dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. Oh, you see, suddenly he's understood this, that actually if if we just serve a Christ that is dead, then it's all going to be about what do I do and how do I feel and where do I go? But actually if we suddenly realize that Christ has risen from the dead, then it changes it all around, doesn't it? So he's starting saying, what could I do for you? How could I accomplish something for you? John Stott, he was an English preacher, says this, we live and die Christ died and lived. I mean, it's just so powerful, isn't it? And in fact, I'm sure I could go around many in the room today and say, how do you know he's risen? Ah, they're just trying to keep slipping out. How do you know? Because I spoke to him this morning and he spoke back. I've encountered him. I've known him. I've prayed to him. He's answered my prayer. I've been sick and he's healed me. I've trusted him and he's provided for me. We can encounter him. But then it's almost like the final thing that I want us to think about. It says in the Bible that Jesus takes a moment to ensure that the disciples and Mary understand the significance. In fact, I think in Luke It would just be the next few verses. He opened their minds in verse 45 so they could understand the scripture. This is what was written. The Christ will suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So actually, he didn't want them just to think, oh, there's no body He didn't want them just to hear the facts. He didn't even just want them to encounter him. He wanted them to really understand what does this mean. 
I would say that Jesus Christ conquering death, coming back to life, is like a foundation for the whole of the New Testament and therefore a foundation for us. We don't really have time to stop and look at it, but in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing, What I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Many believe that this actually was a creed, an early church creed, and that Paul had adopted it into his letter to the church. And say, come on, you know what we always remind ourselves? Christ died. He was buried, but he was raised. This is foundational. We know that of Peter. Peter, who was the one who ran to the tomb and struggled a bit. But it was then Peter that on the day of Pentecost, which is when they're all together and praying, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and suddenly he went out and he preached to people this good news. And it says in Acts 2, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So what's Peter saying? Well, actually, if you want to understand anything, you've got to understand that Jesus Christ conquered death. The grave could not hold him. Paul, when he was establishing the church in Antioch, which many have considered a base church in the New Testament, and we will understand loads from. He writes in Acts 13, it's written about him, sorry, that was Luke writing it, Acts 13. When they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. I think this is just amazing news. Tim Keller, he leads a church in New York, says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about whatever, what, sorry, what, about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So Tim Keller's almost saying, well, actually, if this really did happen, it changes everything. The way we think about him, the way we respond to him, the way we live for him. And Josh McDowell, he was another preacher and uh, I guess an apologetics. He's written many books from America. He's put this, no matter how devastating our struggles, disappointments and troubles are, they are only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. You see, if we really understand the Easter message, it changes everything. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Oh, golly. I think we've saved the best of the last. I do want us to be excited about this. I think there's an empty tomb. There was nobody. You could hear the news. You could encounter Jesus, and you can begin to understand. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. I mean, this could be a whole series in itself. The reality is us becoming Christians, it's because, and he said it on the cross, it's finished. He's done it. It's not about us. We can know powerful life, Because he was risen from the dead. That's the truth of it. We do not have to try and pay for our own sin. It's already been paid for. I mean, isn't that great news? 
I was telling somebody, uh, we do the Alpha course where people come along and ask their questions. We do it in a restaurant. And as a church, because you generously give money, we're able to offer that free to whoever wants to come. And so I was saying to somebody, oh, did you enjoy the meal? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you want to pay for it? And they thought it was a catch. You know what I'm saying? You're always never quite sure what a pastor's going to say when he's talking about money. I said, no, no, you don't have to pay for it. It's already been paid for. If the restaurant was to charge you for this meal, that would be robbery. It's already been paid for. But that's true of our sin before God. And when we try and pay for it again, that's robbery. Because God said, no, it's already been paid for. Jesus Christ paid for it. He died and he rose again. How? It changes everything. Gerald O'Connell, he's a Catholic priest. He says, Christianity without the resurrection is not simply Christianity without its final chapter. It is not Christianity at all. This is central to who we are. This is why we get so excited. I'm going to quote this guy. This is a guy called Lee Strobel. He's written several books. As I said, I've recommended this one. The last quote really is, the resurrection is the supreme vindication of Jesus' divine identity and his inspired teaching. This is why, to me, and the chart's gone down, This is the high point. It would have been the high point for Mary. It should be the high point for us. It's not just a day, Easter Sunday. Actually, this is the day that should change every other day. Because in all truth, I can think, wow. If if I'd have been like the Mary, I'd have thought he's died. It's all gone terribly wrong. No, actually, he's risen. It's all gone so incredibly right. I would love us to to walk away from days like today and not just think, oh, wow, Easter bunnies are great or chocolate is fantastic. No, I'd love us to walk away and think, do you know, this is totally changed. Why? Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. 